The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. The question of the day is, who would you be without your morals? Most people would say that's a scary question. In fact, most people would answer that they'd be set free then to do all the monstrous things from which they currently hold themselves back in the name of civilized and moral behavior. We could do whatever we want, and what we want is definitely something that would otherwise get us in trouble, right? But what if, under all of our codes and constraints, there's a person who knows peace, who understands life at its core level, and wants only more peace, and to give from the fullness of its essence? What if the morals, in fact, that we hold so sacred actually interfere with our becoming that person? This week we're going to talk about that person and bring him or her forth from the cavernous regions of a darkened psyche to launch a new awareness. So stay with us today. This is going to be an interesting discussion. So the first thing is to announce that I finally have a publication date for my new book coming out uh, December the 13th of this year. The book is entitled Inhabiting Heaven Now, and it has everything to do with this person who lives inside of us um, and, uh, and the moral codes that we follow that sort of keep us from acknowledging and really even knowing that that person exists. You see, once upon a time... Our uh, codes were invented for us because there was not a faith in the fact that we could be true to our divine essence without those codes. In fact, it was thought that we didn't have a divine essence. In fact, it was thought that the divine was so very, very far away from us that we had to scrape and claw and, and, and find all kinds of rituals and prayers and manners of being, ways of being that were going to finally allow our soul to get to heaven. But the caveat is that could only happen after we died. And so we could live down here in this suffering earth, but okay, it's all right because We'll get to heaven one day, and we'll do that because we're good people, or because we do good things, or because we um, are uh, considered to be right or righteous, or because we um, have said the right prayer or conducted the right ritual to make that happen. So whatever that is in a particular religion, whether it's baptism or uh, a salvation experience through prayer or a born-again experience or a... Um, a, a behavior or certain behaviors that one has to rely on, 
the final outcome in, in terms of much of Western religion is that we will die and eventually go to heaven. Um, but we're, we're not allowed to have heaven down here on earth. That's not possible. But I argue that. And I'm not the only one. But certainly I am um, going to talk about what I think about it today because you happen to be listening to me. Of course, you're going to make up your own mind about what you think about that and about whether or not you agree with me. And I encourage you to do that. As a matter of fact, I encourage you to ask questions that come from skepticism of all manner um, because that skepticism might help you to encounter your doubt. And your doubt is where you begin to really assess and begin to understand who you are and what you think and what's really true and false to you because it doesn't matter what's true and false to me. It only matters what's true and false to you because that's what you're going to live out of. Many of us believe things that are true that aren't really true. And one of the things we believe that I think is not true is that we believe that at our core, we are actually pretty bad people who are... um, uh, need something outside of ourselves to contain us, elsewise we will act bad. And that's why we formulated these codes. And I call them codes because that's what they are. Um, some people call them morals. Some people call them laws. I call them codes because that's what they are. Um, when we try to say, well, no, wait a minute, that's not, these are not human-made codes. These are, these are God-made. These are divine instructions for how we should live. Um, I argue that not to say that there aren't there aren't any feasible instructions for living uh, given to us by the divine, but um, when when we talk about the codes as they're given to us in various sacred texts, the Talmud and the uh, Torah and the Old Testament of the New, of the uh, Christian Bible um, in the Western world, and in some of the other uh, the Quran and some of the other more um, sort of dogmatic kinds of religions, we um, we tend to forget that the very codes that we're supposed to be obeying are those that aren't obeyed by the divine. And when we want to rationalize that, we can say, well, you know, the divine is bigger than us and we really don't have to understand that. We just need to know that these are our codes and we're supposed to follow them. Um, but the truth is that everyone's following a code regardless of how that code impacts them. And we're going to talk some more about that in a minute. But here was the code of, say, the word, the, the, ten command, ten, the commandment of the Ten Commandments that said, Thou shalt not kill. Um, in that commandment, we were clearly told, don't kill. And that doesn't mean kill sometimes and not other times. It's don't kill. And yet... That same person, the divine being who supposedly gave us the Ten Commandments, also instructed uh, various people throughout the history of the Old Testament or the Talmud or the Torah, whichever you happen to be reading about these stories in, reading from these stories in. The the he was inst- he instructed people to kill not only warriors but to kill women, children, animals, and all the people in a given village or town that the Israelites were to take over. So, on the one hand, we're told not to kill. On the other hand, we're told to kill. So, which one is it? And when we think about our codes today for killing, well, okay, so killing is okay when somebody breaks into your house or tries to hurt one of your children or when they've been like a serial killer and they're up for... um, 
you know, the death penalty. Uh, or maybe it's okay when that they, they just made you so mad you can't control your temper. They've, they've provoked you. Uh, or maybe it's okay when they come into your neighborhood and you don't like the way they look. Um, there's all kinds of things that we can say that, oh, well, it's okay to do it here. But the truth is we don't really know what that means. None of us know what that really means. And so what we've done is most of us have devised codes of our own that usually come from the sort of hypnotic trance state that is a part of our upbringing uh, and that has only to do with how we can, how we can um, be as persons so that we are um, we're instructed to be what it is that the... Um, the the people who raise us need us to be. They need us to be a certain way. They need us to walk a certain way, think a certain way, feel a certain way, present ourselves to the world a certain way, dress a certain way, follow a certain code. And so we follow that code and we honor it to the degree that we uh, follow it. And in that honoring of the code, we t- essentially lose touch with who we are and what is possible for us beyond the code. And so Byron Katie asks us who we would be without our um, without our stories. And I ask who we would be without our morals. How does a moral keep us from actually being able to understand ourselves and really live from or live in heaven heaven now? How does a moral keep us out of touch with our ability to live in heaven now? Well, here's how. If my moral tells me that being angry is is not a good thing, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, well, behavior is uh, anger can only demonstrate itself through behavior. As long as I'm not behaving angrily, maybe I'm not really angry. So I'll ignore my feelings. And I'll tell myself that, no, I'm not really angry when I, just because I haven't acted on it. And I will uh, push that away. I'll repress it. And then it builds and builds and builds and builds. And one day the proverbial explosion occurs because somebody dropped that, that straw and I blow. And then I have to take it all back and say, oh, I was beside myself. I couldn't help it. I, I just was overwhelmed. And, you know, it just wasn't me. I just wasn't myself that day. Okay, well, who were you if you weren't yourself that day? Um, and, and that whole process is one that's actually keeping us from knowing who we actually are. All right, so does that mean that who I was that day is who I actually am? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that our ability to know ourselves is crossed out when we try to contrive how we're going to behave based on an external code because the externals are going to tell me how I ought to be and I'm going to try to be that. Ergo, I'm going to miss out on who I actually am. Who I actually am, uh, according to some of the scriptures in the New Testament, if we go just with Western texts, and I'm only going with Western texts because um, those are the ones that people would typically use as arguments to say we can't inhabit heaven now on planet Earth. Um, 
those the the same ideas are also in many of the other Eastern texts, like the Bhagavad Gita and some of the sutras of the of Buddhist sutras and um, and others. And so we the, these ideas that we have a self that we can make access to, and that self can be its own essence, and in the process, it becomes giving and compassionate, and uh, and uh, we are able to see clearer who we are and be that. And it's a loving, giving person. Um, so uh, when we get to uh, the, the New Testament and what it says, what, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, is you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He was talking to the multitudes. He was not talking just to his disciples. He was talking to the multitudes. He was saying to everybody who happened to be hearing him, you already are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to do anything. You're already that. But because you don't know it, you've hidden your light and your salt has become tasteless. That's the problem. It isn't that we aren't the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It's that we've forgotten that we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Further, when he uses the term righteous, he tells us in that same sermon that our righteousness is to exceed that of the the Pharisees, which who were considered to be the most, most righteous of all people of his time, which I'm sure to the people who were listening was like an utter impossibility. But the word righteous means only Christ truly. We are to be only Christ truly. That's what righteousness means. It doesn't mean good behavior. It doesn't mean prayerful behavior. It doesn't mean um, trying to do the right thing. It doesn't mean striving after righteousness. It doesn't mean saying the right prayer or the right ritual so we can finally arrive in heaven after we die. It means we're already of the Christ nature. In the same way that we could say we're already of the Buddha nature. In, in the same way that we could already, as the Bhagavad Gita says it, already the divine self. We are already these things we've just forgotten and it is in that that um, idea that we find the answer to every moral dilemma ever posed because if we actually are divine essence then why do we need the law to make us behave now there's the question and that's why I wrote the book it's entitled inhabiting heaven now the answer to every moral dilemma ever posed And it has to do with this whole idea of why we developed the codes in the first place, what the codes actually do to us, and what we're going to do about it. So so let's talk about these codes for just a minute. Our codes are how we prove to ourselves that we are worthy. And worthiness is the objective of these codes. So we are constantly measuring ourselves to find out whether or not we're good enough. Now, the measurement varies from culture to culture. For example, if I'm in a street gang, I'm going to measure myself by a different code than, than say, a pastor in a church will measure him or herself. So it isn't the code itself. It is the fact of measuring that is the problem. We are constantly measuring ourselves, and we have to have a code to measure ourselves against. But if we didn't have a code to measure ourselves against, we'd probably find some other way to measure ourselves because we're trying to find out if we're worthy. And if we are indeed worthy, then 
you know, there's no need for measurement anymore. But the problem with that is this. The minute a person starts thinking they're worthy, well, that means they're unworthy because really, who could be worthy except an arrogant person? So that convoluted reasoning is what keeps us stuck in this constant measuring that says, I can't be worthy because if I am, that means I, I think that I'm better than everybody else. and or, or maybe I even think I'm God and then I have a Messiah complex and, geez, what's wrong with that? Maybe I need to be um, put away. So if, if, if I'm worthy, then I'm automatically unworthy just by the very idea that I think I'm worthy. If I'm unworthy and I know it, then I'm more worthy than the person who thinks they're worthy because at least I know it, that I'm unworthy. And that makes me humble and more worthy than the arrogant person who thinks they're worthy. Do you see how crazy that thinking is? We can't ever get worthy. So when it comes to things like self-esteem, we're already lost before we start because we all live in this duality trance state in which there has to be a perpetual measuring going on to find out if we're good enough. And unfortunately, the measuring which is unnecessary anyway, but the the measuring is also set to an external standard. Other people have the standard. If we can make up our own standard, well, then that means we're really arrogant people. And so we don't want to be making up our own standard. But actually, the truth is, there is no standard. There is no standard. We've made all that up. We already are the salt of the earth. We already are the light of the world. We already are only Christ truly. We just forgot. Why do we forget? Well, because that's another whole story. Go back and listen to the, to the uh, show on, that's entitled Duality that I did a couple years ago. Um, several other shows I've talked about that same topic, but I'm not going to talk about it today. But the idea is that the whole concept of having to measure ourselves is a faulty concept. So who would I be without my morals? I might discover myself as a divine being. And then what? Oh my gosh, then what? So the, whole, the, the construct of good and evil is a construct that, that insists that some things are good and some things are bad. Or some kind of gradation along those lines. It's, it's either ultimate evil, ultimate goodness, which we call holiness, or some gradation in between the two. But there's no, no way to get off that continuum. You have to be somewhere in between. Everything about your life has to be somewhere on that continuum. You cannot be off that continuum. Why? Because everything is either good or bad. Why is that true? Well, heck if I know, I've never asked, but there it is. <laughs> That's the illusion that we live in. We live in an illusion that there are good things and bad things, and that's it. That's just how it is, and we just need to deal with it. And so in that illusion, we keep perpetuating the mythology that keeps perpetuating the mythology that keeps perpetuating the mythology. So we prove to ourselves that there's evil by looking for evil, and we prove that there's ourselves that there's good by saying, well, that's not evil, so it must be good. Evil is the main standard. And it's real interesting that when you talk to people about the idea that maybe there's no such thing as good and any evil, and we've made all that up, I mean, the fiery tempers that come out of that are just amazing, A. And B, they're not arguing ever for goodness. They argue for, for evil. They argue to show, to prove that evil exists. So it is the basis upon which all the good comes. So we measure 
our goodness based on whether or not it's evil. So that's a beginning. We're going to talk some more about this right after the break, so don't miss this show. could be life-changing. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Every moment that we live provides us with numerous opportunities to grow more deeply spiritually through our active engagement in positive, concrete ways that can uplift, encourage, and help ourselves and each other. Become a part of Our Sacred Journey with your host, Audrey Katagawa. Our program will include guests who will share their experiences with you to inspire you to help create a peaceful, cooperative present and future and to explore your creativity and the valuable contributions which you can make. Our Sacred Journey airs live Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. Have you discovered your true self yet? When we clearly understand how we create our reality, we can develop empathy and love for our humanity and that of others. Listen to Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. Your host, Dr. Joe Mancini, has spent years helping individuals get unstuck and find direction in their lives. Find out more by tuning into our expert guests and participants on Explorations in Consciousness, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorates, master's, ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following, holistic theology, offering as terminal degrees both a Th.D. and a Ph.D., holistic ministries, holistic health and spiritual care, metaphysical spirituality and alternate spiritual traditions, which includes in-depth studies of the paranormal, 
Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate their own unique gift for the world. AIHT is a real educational program where you get a real learning experience in a broad spectrum of educational endeavors, utilizing as your text writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world. The big deal is that facilitating your dream is AIHT's mission. All you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So we're talking today about who you might be if you didn't have morals to rely on. So we talked just before the break about the whole system of good and evil and how it sort of uh, is a spectrum we find ourselves on and we find everything and every everyone in the world on. So everything is either good or bad. The food we eat, the lovers we've had, the the uh, boss, the, the job we've got, everything is good or bad in some kind of way. That's how we're always interpreting um, and it, it might not be evil, but it's not good if it's not good. And so uh, we have this thought process that, that just maintains that. And if you try to argue it, as I said just before the break, the people who will argue with you are the people who will even getting to a yelling match, if you're willing to yell back, which I'm not, uh, to say, to assert that, yes, there is evil in the world. Yes, there is evil in the world, and I can prove it. Look at Hitler. Look at this. Look at that. Look at the other. And that proof is all about evil. And when I say to them, well, can you prove goodness? That's when they throw up their hands, sigh, and walk away. So we are very determined to prove that there's evil. But Thichnot Han said something that I think is very, very true. People think it's impossible to establish a system of ethics without referring to good or evil. But clouds float, flowers bloom, and wind blows. What need have they for a distinction between good or evil? There are people who live like clouds, flowers, and wind who don't think about morals, yet many people think to point to their actions and words as religious and ethical models, and they praise them as saints. These saints simply smile. If they revealed that they do not know what is good and what is evil, people would think they were crazy. That's a quote from Thichnot Han, And I cannot say how much I agree with that. Because if we find our truest essence, we don't need to think about good or evil anymore. And that's who we might be without our morals. If we decide that morals are not what keeps us in line. Um. The codes that we have that are very, very interesting really don't even apply so much to our religious codes. I mean, we have those. We have our religious codes, whatever those are, whatever religion we we have found ourselves born into or or been raised in. We we those you know those are like the Ten Commandments, for example. Those are nice to think about, but really we're not so much trying to follow those as we are the other codes that we get from our family systems and our cultural environment. And those have more to do with certain um, kinds of rules about behavior and how we look to other people. One of those is don't be selfish. So what that means is don't think about yourself. And if you think about yourself, you're really being a selfish person. And if you try to do things for yourself, you're being a selfish person. And uh, 
there's even a song by Dar Williams that I love. I love this song, it's, uh, and I'm not sure I have the name of it right, but it's about therapy. And uh, she says that therapists try uh, in there, her friends had told her, she was going to therapy, and her friends told her that therapy just makes you selfish. <laughs> and the reason is because therapy helps you begin to think about yourself. And thinking about yourself means you're selfish. So we have that code. And, and so anything we do that has self as a point of reference is considered to be selfish. And people feel all this enormous guilt about it. And that's the next code is that feeling guilty is a good thing. Feeling guilty keeps us in line. Well, we need our guilty conscience. If we didn't have our guilty conscience, well, then we would not know what to do with ourselves. And I remember growing up and having uh, older siblings say something about, what's the matter? You got a guilty conscience, <laughs> you know, when they're trying to catch you in the act or something. And uh, maybe, maybe, maybe because I've raised, been raised to have a guilty conscience, but really do we need guilt? Is guilt what keeps us in line? And so does keep some people in mind. And those people that it keeps in line are the people who've been raised with the biggest, largest, most toxic dose of guilt possible. I work with many of those people. You work with many of those people. You may be some of those people who feel guilty because somebody else is upset, who feel guilty because somebody else is mad, who feel guilty because um, they've had to draw a boundary that is imperative for their safety. Uh, They feel guilty for all kinds of things because they have been raised to feel guilty. But that does not make guilt true. Guilt, in fact, there are some people out there who believe that guilt is a necessary uh, thing and that, it, and that it, there's a kind of good guilt, that if you feel guilty and it constrains you to behave right, right, well, then it must be good. I don't agree with that. I don't think guilt is ever good, and here's why. Because if guilt is my primary motivator, regardless if it's only just one action or the, all of my actions, if guilt is my primary motivator, I don't even know where my compassion is. I don't know whether I would feel compassion in that scenario or not, or if I would give the same way I'm giving or not, or if I would do the same thing I'm doing or not, because I haven't bothered to ask about anything below guilt to find out. And that's a problem. Why is that a problem? Because if I'm not going down below guilt, I don't know who I am. Guilt is a false construct. It says, here's how you'll stay in line. I'll make you feel guilty, and then you'll do the right thing. But Jesus doesn't talk about that. Thich Nhat Hanh doesn't talk about that. The Buddha didn't talk about that. Krishna didn't talk about that. The great leaders of the world didn't say, let your guilty conscience lead you. No, they said, let love lead you. And so if you're doing something out of self-love or other love, as in, do unto others as you would do unto yourself, or do unto, you know, the whole idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, you, those are equal. Other and self are equal in value. Doing something for yourself and about yourself is equal to doing something for somebody else. But that's not what we've been taught in our codes. Our codes is it's better to do something for others than it is to do for yourself, because if you do for yourself, you're selfish. So, when we're when we talk about that again convoluted reasoning that says don't ever think about yourself don't even come close to knowing yourself because if you know yourself well then you must have spent some time contemplating your navel which means you're a selfish person and we don't want to know you so uh, the idea is that you, you you can't know yourself it's against the rules for you to know yourself 
back in the 60s, um, there was a big movement on to find yourself. People were young people and some older people were fi- were going around talking about how you find yourself. And they might go off to California or uh, somewhere else to try to find themselves. And there was some there was a big movement on to do that. And so many of the parents of that time uh, were saying, who cares who you are? Just go get a job. Cut your hair before you get a job, but go get a job, you know. And so that that was the, the attitude. And unfortunately, it still is, either consciously or unconsciously, the attitude is you must not try to know who you are. Don't. That's the last thing you need to do is try to know who you are. Because A, that means you're selfish. And B, if you find out who you are, well, then the rest of us might have to do the same thing, and that's pretty scary. The truth is that who we are is a very, very powerful divine being who has the capacity to be only Christ truly or only Buddha truly or own divine, only divine self truly without the onus of laws and rules. We don't need those. We need our compassion, and we can't find that in guilt. We can't find that unless we know ourselves. We can't find a heart without knowing our heart. So when people say, sometimes they say, well, I know this in my heart. Okay, well, all right, what is it that you know? Well, I know this is the right thing to do. And how do you know that? Because I've been taught that that's the right. That's not your heart. (laughs) That's not your heart. That's somebody else's teaching and you bought it. So much that you think it's your heart. But it's not your heart. It's somebody else's teaching. So, I want to be clear here that I'm not trying to turn the wild, you know, stallions of uh, anarchy loose on society. I'm not saying that we need to just go off and be evil. That's far from what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there is no evil. There is no good. The definitions of those need each other to stay alive. If you take away evil, there's no good. If you take away good, there's no evil. And so the whole things are propped against each other in ways that are significantly um, uh, fraudulent. So that whole theory that we have based our entire world on is false. There is no good or evil. There's only true or false. And, and if there's true, then I can find it. So in the process of coming to awareness, waking up to who I am, I have to face the codes that have held me back from finding out who I am. And one of the, another one of those beyond feeling guilty is there's a right way and there's a wrong way. I can't tell you how many times I've heard parents say that. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. Okay. Where's, where's that? And, and, and if you ask them, they'll tell you where it is. It's you do it the way I think you ought to do it. And so if you're going to marry somebody that is below our social st- status, then that's wrong. If you're going to um, hang out with a certain race that we don't like, well, that's wrong. If you're going to um, uh, take on a career that is different from the one dad had, well, that's wrong. You see, we apply morals to those things. They aren't morals. I mean, we all clearly recognize those are not morals, and yet we call them wrong. A person who runs a stop sign is not just running a stop sign. No, he's a bad person for running a stop sign. And that process of running, uh, of, of running that stop sign means that he's ignored the laws and that means that he must be a bad person for doing that. And so when we give him a fine, 
well, that's just punishment because he did something bad and he needs to be punished. So what if we were just to say he has to pay the fine as a consequence so that we can have social order? We take the wrong out of it and we're looking for social order. You see, there's a big difference between codes that tell us not to run stop signs and run red lights and codes that tell us who we are as unworthy people. So while I definitely agree that we probably need some kind of organized structure around our behavior so we won't go bumping into each other all the time, I don't think we need to make it wrong or right. And uh, I'm not the only one who thinks that way, obviously. Thichnot Han agrees. So uh, the idea that there's a right way and a wrong way and that somebody knows who that is, what that is, is another false construct. But we've built our lives around it. There's nothing more um, frightening to many uh, young people than having their father look at them and put this finger on the table saying, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do this. And uh, so we, we comply we, or either rebel. And either way, we're still bouncing off the same good-evil complex. Um, and, and in the process, what we're doing is missing out on who we actually are. So here's another code. You ought to be ashamed. I don't know whether you heard that when you were growing up, but I sure did. And it's an idea. Teachers said it. Sunday school teachers said it. Parents said it. It's an idea. And we believe it. That if you've done something, quote unquote, wrong, you ought to feel ashamed. And here's the thing. Shame is deadly. It's deadly. It is the ultimate in unworthiness. And yet we're telling young people, children, that they ought to feel ashamed when they do something wrong. That's a code. And everybody knows it. And even if it's never spoken, we all know it. Because it's passed around among us like some kind of invisible poison. And so we we live out of this idea that, uh uh-oh, if I do that, I ought to feel ashamed. And I really don't want to feel ashamed, so I won't do that. But we haven't even asked ourselves about our hearts. We haven't even bothered to ask ourselves, where is my compassion here? What does my compassion want to do? Does my compassion want to take really good care of me because I'm in need right now? Or does my compassion possibly want for me to be there, present with someone else? What does my compassion want to do right now? We don't ever bother to ask that question because we're busy Deciding whether or not we're going to be ashamed or guilty. That's where our head is. That's where our heart is. That's where our behavior is. We're locked out of that other world because we're not awake to it. And that other world has all of the answers to every moral dilemma. Every one of them. And that other world offers us heaven right here, right now on planet Earth. So let's talk about just uh, a couple more codes and then we'll go and we'll come back and talk about heaven on earth. Um, be loyal to duty. That's a good one. Be loyal to duty. Duty says this is the right thing. Do it. And if you don't do it, then you're not a good person. You're not loyal. Therefore, you're not a good person. And loyalty is considered, it's passed down to us from the military from generations and generations ago where that the military was the sort of just, right, moral cause of the universe. Where they protected us from the bad guys, so they were the people we should emulate. 
And so we did. And so we passed down this idea that loyalty is a good thing. But actually, loyalty is just a drive to behave according to a standard. It never bothers to ask the question about who I am and what does my compassion, my love, want to do right now. Never bothers with that. So when you find yourself going, well, this is my duty, you know, I have to do this because this is what I, you know, this is what this right thing to do. It's my duty. Think again. You're missing out on your real leadership. Your own internal GPS system might be calling you to do something different. So that's what we have to say about codes. We're going to come back and talk about what it means to live in heaven on earth. Stay tuned for that. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. In times of personal transformation and growth, sometimes you need assistance to help set you on the right path. Angela Bushman provides that assistance. Tune in each week for her show, Shine Your Light. With Angela's guidance, you can identify and overcome your fears, learn to let go, and share the joy of authentic living. Angela leads by example and invites you to join her on this path of discovery. Shine Your Light with Angela Bushman is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you in tune with yourself? Listen every week for Ecstaticism, Embracing the Journey to Awakening, featuring host Sherry Lynn. When we understand that we are not alone in this world and have infinite love available to us at all times, we can be ecstatic and call upon the assistance we need to reconcile and release our past, fear, and addictions. Listen to Ecstaticism, Embracing the Journey to Awakening, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Joy, bliss, and ecstaticism is our God gift to experience. Be joy, be peace, be love. Health is in your hands. What you do and what you don't do sets the course for the path of your life. Listen for wise chats, simple talk, profound wisdom with Dr. Mary Jo Bulbrook. Through this series, we'll explore energetic approaches to health and healing that provide practical and personal solutions. Our guests will share ideas and insights that will help us all adopt new behaviors and create lasting internal shifts. Wise Chats can be heard every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. Be extraordinary. Be the change. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about what it means to 
be alive in your fullest essence without necessarily being constrained by morality. Um, as I said earlier, uh, Byron Katie asks, who would we be without our stories? And I ask, who would we be without our morals? And the reason I ask that question is because I think that morals interfere with our ability to know who we are as divine beings. And that, that it doesn't, it, we don't have to ask any deeper questions when we have morals. We could say, well, you know, that's the right thing to do and that's all I need to know and I'm just going to go do it and that's how it is. And, you know, I don't ever ask any other questions. So I don't have to know what my compassion would do. I don't have to know what my love would do. But in all of the sacred texts around the world, if they have any divine wisdom in them, they all are saying the same thing that says we're to be motivated by love and compassion, not by codes. And they don't say the not by codes part, but they do say you're to be motivated by love and compassion. So... Uh, so what does that mean? What, what what does it mean then if we're motivated by love and compassion? What would that mean about how would that fall out into living in heaven now? Inhabiting heaven now means inhabiting my divine self now. That's what heaven is. Heaven is, is not some place up in the ethers where we go after we die. It's not a place at all. It's a process. And when we look at the uh, the texts of the New Testament that talk about heaven over and over and over again in Jesus' words, what we learn is that the term he uses for heaven in, in its root language has nothing whatsoever to do with the place we go after die. It has and 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 hell is the same way. Hell is not hell is not a place we go after we die. Um, it's a place of suffering, yes, but it's the suffering that also leads us to individuate, to integrate all of the various aspects of who we are into divine self. And that process is is what heaven is. And so that's why we can uh, live in heaven now. One of the parables Jesus uses is about the wheat and the tares growing up in the garden together and the people come and say, well, should we pull the tares out because the tares are in there growing with the wheat? And and the, the master says, no, don't pull them out because if you do, you'll pull up some of the wheat. So don't do that. Let's just wait until it's time to pull up the wheat and then we can take the tares and throw them in the furnace and we'll take the wheat and use it. And that's considered to be an analogy. And, and from uh, the classic traditional interpretation, it means, well, that furnace is fire and hell for those people who are not uh, doing right. Those are the tares. And the people that are doing right, well, they're going to go on to heaven. But actually, the term fire and the, uh, the furnace that is used there is actually a, a, an oven that cooks pottery or bread. Um, it is not or, – or, or, or makes molten – um, uh, bronze into something else. So we're, we're talking about the process of transformation there. We're not talking about a time of punishment. Um, even Carl Jung talks about how with that suffering that we go through, it's inevitable result ultimately in some lifetime down the road. Then that part is my interpretation. Um, it will get us to that place where we recognize who we are. So the ultimate result of any suffering allows us to transform who we think we are into who we actually are as divine beings. So that's the interpretation if you look at the root language of the Western texts used as sacred literature. 
And and those things only reiterate what is known in the Eastern texts as well, that we can reach a place of nirvana, that we can reach divine self, that we can find the Buddha nature, all of those things. Um, we can understand self and no self. All of those things are saying the same thing. And that is that we have a, a, a an energy inside of us that is real and valid and stands on its own and doesn't need us to constrain it from outside of ourselves. It doesn't need for us to tell it to behave. It knows what to do if we will surrender to it. That is living in heaven now. That is inhabiting heaven now. So when we're, when we're processing through a particular event, Rather than eschewing our suffering and saying, oh, well, people should never suffer. And if they suffer, well, they've either done something wrong or according to the old law of attraction, they've attracted this wrong thing into their lives because they haven't been thinking right. They haven't been thinking positive thoughts uh, or it's bad karma or there all kinds of things that all have to do with evil. They all have to do with the evil side of the continuum that says, You've done something wrong. You screwed something up, and that's why this is happening. But what if it's not? What if it's happening as a part of our process of unfolding into uh, to finish the duality trance process that we started at the very beginning, but also unfolding awareness into a potential for integrating, for marrying, for putting together all the various aspects of who we are into that one being that reconciling third, as Carl Jung called it, when what I call it, he called it Imago Dei, the image of God. I call it divine self, as the Bhagavad Gita does. So, uh, the process of unfolding there is heaven. In other, in in fact, in that same parable that Jesus used, where he said that the parables and um, the parables, excuse me, the fr- the wheat and the tares were both in the same field. He said that they would the, uh, the tares were to be taken out of the same exact field, and the wheat was growing in heaven. So the tares are also growing in heaven. Hello. <laughs> so what that means is that all these things we think are bad inside of us are not bad. We're judging them to be bad. We're judging them to be dark and evil and uh, transgressive. And oh my gosh, I've got this bad thing inside me. In the South, people preface a lot of their statements with, this is really bad, but <laughs> what they mean is, I've got this thought inside me that's, that, that I've judged to be bad, but i got to share it with you, so he- heads up. This is bad. Get ready. Um, it's very similar to the old bless your heart thing that says, yeah, well, I really don't like you, but I'm going to say bless your heart instead of I hate your guts. Um, so... That idea is based on the the premise, the archetypal premise that we all carry around with us, that we're basically bad people at the core. And that idea keeps us from going deeply inside of ourselves, because who wants to go in there and find out we're bad? <laughs> I mean, and I literally have had people ask me that, readers, clients, listeners, ask me that. What? Well, if I discover my authentic self, what if it's bad? I mean, literally, that's the question. What if it's bad? What if there is no such thing as bad or good? What if those are just terms we've made up to try to interpret life according to our understanding when it's not even real? What if I really am the light of the world and the salt of the earth? What if I really am divine self? 
Jesus said, you are God's. Your scriptures tell you, you are God's. Those, the, I don't think in all the years that I uh, went to churches, fundamentalists and otherwise churches, I never once heard a sermon on you are God's. <laughs> That's not something we talk about a whole lot in the, in the Christian world. But there it is in black and white. We are God's. We have all the power. We have the power to live in heaven now, to inhabit our divine beingness. But we don't operate out of that because we're busy operating out of morals. Good and bad. The duality translate. And as long as we keep operating that way, we're not going to experience heaven now. So let me explain this. People ask me all the time, well, if you live in heaven now, does that mean you're going to be in a constant state of bliss? The answer is, uh, when you're thinking in terms of bliss or no bliss, you're not thinking in terms of heaven now. <laughs> in, 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 when we're inhabiting heaven now, we are inhabiting our deepest, truest essence. We are in the flesh and bone, the physical and non-corporeal essence of who we are. And there is no, no bliss or bliss. It's not, there's not either or. It's all one. It's all one thing. So what we consider to be bad, when we're inhabiting heaven now, it's not bad. There's only oneness. There's only one thing. There always has only been one thing. It's just that we forgot that. So when we're, when we when I have that question asked to me and I answer it that way, there, I kind of get this, you know, tilted head to the side like a little puppy dog going, what? What? What are you talking about? Um, and, and it's hard for us to wrap our heads around that. It's been hard for me to wrap my head around it. I still have trouble wrapping my head around it sometimes. Uh, as much as I've done with it, I still have trouble wrapping my head around it. Why? Because we all live in the duality trans state where we believe that there's good and evil and that's the way it is. Period. End of subject. There's no, there's no argument about that. And whoever argues about that is just insane. Because, I mean, it's obvious. Look around. Hello. But when we look around, all we do, all we see is what we've been trained to do and see. We've been trained to believe there's good and evil, and so we see good and evil. We've been trained to act in good and evil, and so we act in good and evil. We've been trained to believe we're bad people, and so we act like bad people. We've been trained to believe that if we don't act like bad people, we don't exist at all. And so we better act like good, bad people or else we don't exist at all. And talk to somebody in that complex and you might be talking to a serial killer. So this whole process of good and bad has been one where we can identify with one or the other. If I'm a young child and I've got the option of identifying with good or bad, and good means that I don't exist and bad means I exist, guess which one I'm going to identify with? Hello, I'll be bad. At least that way I get to exist. And you not paying attention to me as my mother and my father means, in my mind, I'm not sure I really exist. So the 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 idea is we can identify with one or the other. I'm either good or I'm bad. One or the other. Or sometimes I'm bad and sometimes I'm good. Most people live in that place. Uh, but if none of it is true and all is oneness then we don't have to ask the question of, is there going to be bliss? Is there just not just constant state of bliss? We don't have to ask that question. When you live in the divine self, the answer is apparent. All is oneness. There is no good or bad, so how can there be bliss or no bliss? Uh, so, 
the process of discovering the authentic self, the divine self, the truest essence of who you are in your deepest core bones and your quarks and neutrinos and all the deepest parts of you is to be with it, is to be present with it. And that means taking the time to, in every single circumstance of your life, to be able to check in with your inner self. Ask your compassion what it wants to do right now. Ask your love what it wants to do that right now. And love doesn't mean just love for other people. It means love for yourself. It means love for life. It means love for nature. It means love for flying. It means love for swimming. It means love for your interests. It means love for life in all of its glory. And so we're not, we're not just instructed to, um, to be uh, loving to other people. We're instructed to love life. That's what it's all about. So that's it for today. Next week, you're going to get to hear from Stephen Forrest again. He was on a week or so ago, but I want you to hear it again. I'm going to be out of town, so that's going to be a rerun for you. But if you didn't hear him, you want to. He's very wise and very much aware of how astrology can help us find our authentic self. So be here for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.